0: This week on Dig Me
1: Out
2: With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minici.
1: Jay, this week we are, well we're hosting a guest That's number one, Jay Oh, we're hosting a room. We're hosting, yes. <laughs> nice. And uh, the 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 hors d'oeuvres are out. We're getting ready to talk some smooth jazz. And no, actually, we're gonna <laughs> we're going to uh, we're gonna do a a tribute album, Jay. I don't think we've done a tribute album. Yeah, we've done compilations. We've done soundtracks.
2: We uh, did the Kiss tribute album.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. We did do the Kiss tribute album, and we did the Victoria. Sing- Williams one now now they're all rushing back to me okay edit jay this is our third tribute album
0: uh, the night
2: was the 90s the start of the tribute albums were there any tribute albums prior to the 90s
0: i think there probably were actually the artists we're going to be talking about did a tribute album in the 1970s
1: well there you go, there go. yeah i think i think tribute records Probably have been around as a way to make money off of popular songs. Uh, this is a bit of more of an obscure one because not all the songs on this are are hit radio songs. So it's not like somebody who decided to cover the best of this particular, particular artist. They went to some album tracks as well. Um, I shouldn't say the best. I should say the most uh, recognized is probably the way to put it. Talking about Willie Nelson... And the 1996 tribute album, Twisted Willie, that came out on Justice Records. And to help us do so, the man who suggested we check out this record is joining us. He's been here before. He's back again, Mr. Eric Peterson. Welcome back, Eric.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: This is your Patreon pick, which means you've been with us for one year. You stuck it out. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Well, you are welcome. You committed to the relationship, and uh, we appreciate that, and... Part of the deal was after one year, anybody at the 250 level uh, gets to pick a record and then join us for it. And I want to mention that we recently had Crawford Blair join us at the 250 level. And then Patrick Testa, who we mentioned joined us at the $1 level, he immediately bumped himself up to the 250 level. So that's two new people at the 250 level, which means next January and February, we're going to have like 15 people that have uh, reviews. I don't know how that works exactly because there's only eight weeks to, to play with. So, uh, yeah. we have a lot of new people joining us at the two hundred and fifty level in January and February. It's going to be crowded. Not to mention the people <clears> who might be on their second year. Uh, hint, hint. Well,
0: it's okay with me next year if you guys want to float me on into uh, I don't know March or April if it works. Okay, so
1: well, we're gonna, we might have to do that. We might have to do some. Uh, we have some, have some floaters, float people around. Um, why did you pick of all the records out there? Why'd you pick Twisted Willie? As your Patreon pick.
0: Um, I I actually had a stack of things that I was looking at. And we'll get to some of them eventually, maybe. And, um, well, first of all, this is not my favorite record of, like, 96 or 97. This came out in 96. And I was actually toying with 97 albums because it's been 20 years. And um, my favorite records from... You know, 97 especially is, is a record that's very special to me, but I just don't think it's going to connect with a mass audience. So kind of put that aside. And then I, I just kind of wrote out a couple of my ideas and I was looking at them and I was thinking, well, which of these do I think would be interesting for people to hear or who don't know about the records? Which of these will be available for people to check out? And it came down to about three selections. And this is the one I decided, oh, let's just go with this. Um and you know, I'm realizing now that uh, one of one of your missions has always been: we're not covering Nirvana, we're not covering Alice in Chains, we're not covering Soundgarden. The members of all three of those bands play on this record.
1: Well, and we've gotten around to them in other ways too, like
0: when we did yeah, the Judgment Night soundtrack. Obviously, Pearl Jam or, was on there, and or Hater, which uh, yeah, just just. Um, I know you guys didn't dig, but I actually quite like that album. One of the things I did like on that album is there's actually a Johnny Cash uh, cover. Right. That. Uh... What is that noise? Yeah. Is there a jet plane or something?
2: Oh, shit. Oh, that's my, okay. air, conditioner. Okay. my right. air conditioner. It's my air conditioner. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you guys. Are you just hearing it now?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it just it just like turned up and it sounded
0: like uh, you were in a wind tunnel. Okay, can I can I make the obvious statement of uh, you have your air conditioner on in February? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I understand. Uh, your necklace, actually, it was but, like yeah.
1: sixty-two degrees here in Columbus, so oh, not quite air conditioning day. weather, but um, you know. What, let me, what you let me go see if anymore?
2: I can. Let me see, let me go see if I can turn that off. Go Hold on. on a second. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it just like came out of nowhere. I was like, yeah, uh, I was I was like,
0: um, is that the NSA listening in or uh, you know?
1: <laughs> oh god. What trigger so, what, what words do we get flagged?
0: Uh, who, I'm I'm not really worried about us talking about Willie Nelson. That that's old news. So. Uh so if we're filling time while he's doing that, uh, is this your first experience with Willie Nelson as uh, you know, beyond just the stuff that's in the the culture that everybody hears?
1: So, it is not in the sense that I, I'm obviously familiar with Willie Nelson as a songwriter and um, his well-known songs, um, my so I have a weird like personal backstory with not just Willie Nelson but with Johnny Cash and and that sort of era of country music. Um, my grandparents had a big record collection. And my grandfather still does. He's 93 years old. Um, He has a cedar closet in his basement filled with records. Primarily Mm -hmm. Italian tenors and and soprano and, like, you know, uh, classical singers and and that kind of stuff. But um, when I was a kid, there would always be music on at their house, and we would go every Sunday for a big Italian meal. And if it wasn't, like, Italian singers – it was like Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and and that sort of era of like 60s, 70s country music. Um, so the
0: outlaw stuff like yeah. Willie Whelan, Chris, George Jones. And they, were,
1: they really liked uh, Ray Charles too, like his gospel okay. yeah. era. Um, and then, you know, it was Sunday night. We would have a big dinner at like five or six o'clock. And then inevitably the entire family would sit around and watch Hee Haw at seven o'clock. Which was a very weird thing for like a Buffalo, New York Italian family to sit around <laughs> on a on a Sunday evening and watch together. And then like, you know, Willie Nelson would show up or Johnny Cash or Chris yeah. Christofferson or or what have you. Um, and there is no connection between my family and the South in, in the sense of like having a connection to country music. Mm-hmm. Like none of our family lives anywhere below Pennsylvania at this at this point. Like we okay. had some family in Chicago, everybody else was in New York. So I don't know why they had an appreciation. I think it was just um they weren't into rock and roll. So the okay. natural thing when to buy more modern music when they were buying music in the sixties and seventies is that they went with people who sang gospel songs and people who sang more traditional songs, which would be Ray Charles, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson. Oh. That kind of stuff. So, so what's, I grew up listening to that a little bit.
0: What's interesting to me about that is that if you talk about Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Chris Christofferson, and Waylon Jennings, those guys all started out basically in rock and roll, as right. did Ray Charles. I mean, uh, there's 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 a pretty direct lineage from that Sun Studio uh, 1950s rock rock and roll right to this outlaw country stuff that those guys became super well known for. Jerry, I'm back. You back? Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. Now I can just hear the dog. So that's much better.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It must be this new mic. That's a lot Very more sensitive, sensitive. Than one. I guess so. Geez. Picks up everything. Yeah. That's gonna be
0: a problem in the summer.
1: Don't do laundry. I we'll have to, we'll have I'll to figure one, that out. Washer and dryer going.
0: All right. So where were we? I just. I think I just talked about um, that Hater album having a Johnny Cash cover on it.
1: Yeah. So let's ask Jake. I'll. I'll let it that. Part in a little bit, Um, okay. Jay, were you familiar with Willie Nelson beyond you know like one or two or three radio singles? Did you ever listen to any albums, or do you have any personal backstory with Willie Nelson's music?
2: Uh, I think it was similar to what you were talking about in terms of. uh, I don't know if (laughs) you're going to include that, but uh, my dad, I remember, was into kind of classic outlawish country. Um, So he had a pickup truck. We, he trained horses. I just remember a lot of trips. Mm-hmm. I headed out to uh, the, the ranch where he trained horses after work and basically listened to the local country station, and it would be all that stuff. So uh, it, I, it just was always there. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, so it was kind of ingrained in me. I knew, I knew the voices. I knew the songs. I didn't necessarily pay attention to it. I didn't like it, particularly like it or not like it. I just It was just kind of a presence all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, just in general, that's, that's kind of my recollection of, of Willie Nelson and sort of the music around him and the scene he was part of.
0: Well, for me, I, you know, obviously she saw him on the Muppets or he was, you know, all of our pop radio and television in the late seventies and into the eighties. And my mother was a big Johnny Cash fan. So we heard some Johnny Cash when I was growing up. And she also liked Jim Reeves, who's maybe a lesser known like fifties pop country guy. Mm hmm. So we would listen to that in car rides. But this album for me was actually maybe my first real introduction into looking at Willie as just an artist. You know, I'd heard maybe one or two Highwaymen songs, and I'm actually now kind of a pretty big Highwaymen fan. I'm a a big, big fan of of Waylon Jennings. You know, I I love Johnny. Uh, I have an appreciation for Chris Christopherson. He's a little more hit or miss. But for me... Especially, uh, you know, in the '90s, the Twisted Willie record, the Johnny Cash American Recordings records, uh, and the covers by people like Hater and a few others really are what what drew me to uh, country music and outlaw country. So that that's kind of my background with with Willie. And I I
1: second that on the the '90s Johnny Cash stuff. That was where where I be, first actually like went out and got the records and then went back and listened to the older stuff. I'm much more familiar with Johnny Cash as an artist in terms of like listening to full records and and owning actual records as opposed to I haven't dived into the... And it's been one of those things that's been on my list to get into or give a chance to uh, Willie Nelson's full records, but I just haven't had a chance to. Uh, this podcast keeps us uh, so busy with <laughs> listening to music every week. We need to like have a, a two week sabbatical at some point, so I can actually listen to the stuff that is on like my personal to do list, and not always <laughs> listening to stuff for the show. Uh,
0: cool. Well, we'll see. We'll see about that. So, so, so let me let me throw this out there for both of you guys. Right. Did this record get you guys interested in checking out the originals of these songs?
1: Um. Uh-
2: I haven't done it yet, but I I would like to check out some of these just to see. I guess there's a darkness here that I didn't. Uh, I knew I knew you know Willie Nelson could be somber, but there's a genuine darkness in some of these songs that I would mm-hmm. love to go back and hear the originals to see how how close they are. Um, so yeah, it piqued my interest for sure. It, it, I mean, across the, not to get jump ahead into the review, but I mean the songwriting is evident. Right. It, regardless of how it's interpreted on this record, you can't deny uh, pretty much all 16 of these these songs on here that the quality of the lyric and melodies um, is undeniable. So and I and I like that it doesn't I don't know, I didn't I, I didn't know any of these songs. It doesn't tread on, um, you know, over, it doesn't go through all the ones that we we sort of know, um, yeah. which is good.
1: Uh, I think I knew Shotgun Willie. That was probably, maybe the mo- one I was most familiar with. But in terms of like, yeah, his overall more familiar I mean, I catalog, was, I didn't know. I was
2: I was dreading somebody was going to cover Crazy, I, I would no. have <laughs> turn
0: it off. Probably the best well-known one on here is Hello Walls, which was originally a big hit for Ferlin Husky that he had written, that Willie had written. That is. Mm-hmm.
1: So, let's get into. Talking about what we thought overall, Jay, since this was uh, something, I, I recognize the album cover from being at the college radio station, but I don't know that we put it in a rotation. I think this was one of those albums that was like what we called The Currents, which was, it's a current record, you can play something off of it if you want, but it's not in rotation. So I'm pretty sure it was in that stack of stuff we could pull stuff from, but I don't remember actually listening to it so let's talk about what we liked and what we didn't like jay on the last show you very emphatically had me go first so (laughs) how about you go first this time tell me tell me the songs that worked for you and why they worked
2: okay well i think the mark Lanigan tune is fantastic um she's not for you She's not for you well, She's not for you And I'm the only one Who would let her act this way She's not I think the band performance overall is great. It sets a great mood and has a very intimate feel. And his voice is just perfect for this type of song and this type of material. Um, I think I found in general, well, another, I guess another example of that would be, um, you know, the Waylon Jennings song as mm-hmm. well. You know, obviously, I think the vocal is so important to Willie Nelson songs. I mean, it's, usually instrumentation wise it's you know probably written on acoustic guitar very simple so you have to be able to deliver the melody vocally so those two songs stood out to me just because of the quality of the singer um the Jerry Cantrell song as well in that um I think the vocal is strong I think it goes in some interesting places with those Alice in Chains like harmonies and he does a good job of making it his own so I mean that could you kind of hear the Willie Nelson a country kind of vibe, but it could very well be a, you know, something off his solo record or Allison Chain's uh, Jar of Fly song. And then I thought the President of the United States of America track was kind of fun. It sort of—I think they did a good job of conveying, you know, Willie Nelson's sense of humor and sense of fun sometimes, um, which isn't always easy to do. Um, and then the last one that really stood out that that I appreciated was um, "Home Motel" by Axe. That was another example of that's one I want to go back and hear the original um, to just to see what, where they took it because it again it it just sounds like them um, with a really strong melody ingrained in it. Um, so that's another one where I think they did a good job making it their own.
0: I won't get into the ones that didn't work yet. I'll just I'll
1: no, stop no, there. We'll, we'll stop there.
0: <laughs> can I can I ask you about the the Jerry Cantrell? Does I was listening to this again, obviously in the last couple of days, and I thought you know it'd be really interesting if he would actually go and uh, do kind of an Americana record at this point in oh, his yeah. career. I, I mean, I don't know what his voice sounds like in 2017, but I was always a, a little uh, taken aback that his solo career didn't seem to go better than it did.
2: Yeah, I think that would be an awesome idea. I I think it's really cool in this song. Like in the middle, it does this—I don't know—key change or chord shift (laughs) that just kind of messes with your head and goes in a whole different direction and shows he can do something that's, you know, slightly more traditional, but then give it this weird tilt that—that sort of Alice in Chains flavor, that Mm -hmm. that darkness and strange chord choices and. Um, strange harmony. Uh, so I would, yeah, I would love to hear that.
1: That song reminded me of it, or not reminded me, but it felt like it could fit on the sap EP that Alice and Chains did uh, beside a song like Don't Follow. Mm-hmm. And it had a very, like, like it could have just slid right in there and you wouldn't have even known that it was a Willie Nelson song unless you looked at the songwriting credit. Um, and I think that's a credit to Jerry Cantrell able to interpret it in such a way that it has an element of like you're saying that Americana but also really he kind of makes it his own I
2: watch as fall around me
0: From ruins of my home it's worth unhappiness So many people so alone
1: Seeds that thrive in loveless gardens
2: Fruits of such will bitter be fields of hate and greed surround me and i've seen all this world i care to see
1: i concur with you on all your picks i thought the mark lanigan track i mean whatever he lends his voice to it just adds so much gravitas to it it's just a g- gorgeous sounding song and obviously in the songwriting is what the core of the song is, but you know, just, and I looked at the credits and it's, um, Barrett Martin's on bass. Dan Peters is on drums. Mike Johnson, who played, I think with, did he play with dinosaur junior for a while?
0: I think um, so. And I, I think all of those guys played on Lenigan's early solo records, okay. the the whiskey for the Holy ghost. And, um, uh, I forget the other one's called The Winding Sheet. I think they were on those those records.
1: Yeah. Well, they pull it off. I mean, I think they it sounds great. Like you said with the Presidents of the United States, like they made that song their own. Like it sounds like a president's song. And mm-hmm. we brought it up, I think, a little bit when we reviewed that second album, that they have a little bit of this like weird Americana thing going on in some of their tracks that translates well to a willie nelson track so that was cool to hear i also liked it's probably the weirdest song on the record but i did like the kelly deal track um angel flying too close to the ground because it's such a deconstruction of that song it's basically just you know so uh, her vocals some percussion with like a tambourine and um, some other stuff, and then a little bit of guitar, and then I think Chris Christopherson's singing, but I can't really, Mm -hmm. it's not really clear, I mean, because the vocals are sort of messed with. But I like the mood of the song, and they were able to take it, and I want to, that's one of the songs where I want to go hear what the original sounds like to compare it to that version, because that's, I mean, even for, if you were going to say, it doesn't even sound like a breeder song in what we know as being the breeders like Last Splash and and Pod. I haven't listened to a lot of the other records that they put out, but the newer stuff that came out in the late 90s or 2000s. But it doesn't sound like anything from those records. So those would be my picks. In revisiting this, Eric, what were the standout tracks for you?
0: So I, I pretty much agree with, with you guys. Uh, and there's a couple that I feel like... Um, stood out to me at the time that I think are really great and one or two that I kind of rediscovered that I want to go back and listen to. Uh, first of all, I really do like the L7 Will and Jennings song. I think that works really well with uh, their vocals and kind of that, that noisy, but still melodic sound they bring to it. And um, I really also do like the Jello Biafra with life after life. And part of it is, you know, you have this legendary punk singer who's, who's doing this, uh, this, this kind of, I don't want to say esoteric, but that's kind of what, what the underpinning of the song is. You know, even the title still is still moving to me is kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not linear. It's not surface. And I, I, I've always liked Jello's voice and sometimes he doesn't have the greatest material to work with. And I think this is a case of him, uh, working with good material. Uh, and I also just want to mention uh, Presidents United States of America. That's a great song. That might actually be better than the original, which I, I am a fan of. And I love the fact that they name check Junior Brown in it. The original name-checks Rita Coolidge, who I believe was Chris Christopherson's wife when it was written. Uh, most of these songs actually come from, you know, the 60s and 70s. And especially in the early 70s, Willie and Waylon Jennings were uh, separating themselves from Nashville and Kind of taking control of recording their records, kind of doing it themselves, insisting on picking the musicians that would play on the records and the songs, which was not typical in N- Nashville at the time. Maybe Johnny Cash could get away with it, but that was it. Um, a lot of these come from Shotgun Willie, which is a great record. Uh, so th- there's there's a lot of really great early material that's got that kind of punk energy of you know musicians saying we're going to do it ourselves and we're not going to you know have some st- You know, producer telling us which songs to pick and use a bunch of studio musicians. The one that kind of stuck stood out to me that I wasn't really into before, that I really want to listen to some more and find the original, is Steel Pole Bathtubs, The Ghost. Yeah, that's a weird... I was conflicted on that one.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: It's a very weird production. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, there's, there's several songs on this record that I think the overall production is strange to the point that in that one in particular, to the point of being distracting. It's difficult to kind of fully, you know, get into it. Yeah. Um,
1: I think that's because every song is produced by someone different.
0: Yeah. So, so my understanding was that a bunch of these were done, uh, at maybe one time. And I'd read somewhere that like everybody that was around from the Seattle scene showed up at the studio the day Johnny cash was there just to kind of see Johnny cash. And, um, but I think, so I think the, that uh, a chunk of them were recorded together. I'm not, I didn't check the producers to see if it was the same ones. And then there's a couple of one-offs that that were recorded uh, elsewhere with a different producer. Does that sound right, or? Well,
1: according well, to I... the the liner notes, it pretty much um, the bands get the production credit on almost every uh. record, or almost every song. Um, But like on the Jerry Cantrell, there's a Producer Daryl Peters is the producer on that record who did Allison Shane's Jar Flies. He was the, okay. I guess, producer on that. But like for, you know, the Jello Biafra, he's the producer on that for best kissers in the world. They're the producer um, for uh, steel tub, steel pole bathtub. They're the producer. So, that's
0: interesting. Co- yeah, because the the booklet has produced mostly is produced by Randall Jamal, and mm-hmm. then whoever the artist is. Mm, let's see. Yeah, and it doesn't. I don't. Doesn't say exactly where it was recorded. All of them. Some of them.
1: I, I that gets in that nebulous. Like, what's a yeah. producer credit and what's? I think yeah. he might have maybe mixed.
0: That could be. That could be
1: a lot of the record. Um. I think he. I think that's what it is because now that I'm looking at it, he's on the mixed by credit for everything okay. and produced by. So I think what they did was they gave producer co credit to all the artists, and then he's also listed as the producer. So, um, but I did notice quite a bit of variety. Let's put it that way okay. in the quality of the production of the record. In terms of some of the stuff that maybe didn't work as well, I think it's because of the production that I I don't love it like. I I like Johnny Cash's song, but mm-hmm. there's something really weird with when it gets loud. Even though it's Kim Thayil from Soundgarden, Kurt Cobain from Nirvana and Sean Kinney from Alice in Chains, they sound like a high school band to me when they're playing. Like it sounds really raw and bad when they mm. are playing together. Like the guitar sounds really Like, if you had told me that was Kim Thale, I would have denied it Mm. until I was (laughs) blue in the face, because it just does not sound like his guitar tone. And I don't know. Did you guys have as much problem with that particular song as I did?
0: I I didn't actually really like the song, and I think Johnny's voice kind of carries it through. Are are you guys familiar with the story behind the album that comes from at all? It's from the Redheaded Stranger album, which was Willie's big, massive hit of the, the 1970s. Basically what,
1: album,
0: ha- yeah. okay, basically, what happened is he did a really stripped down, um, like him and a guitar, basically, demos of that album and took it to the record company. And like, OK, you can go in the studio. He's like, no, no, that's the album. I think this is how we're going to put it out. And then they might have done one song that uh, that he had the full band or whatever. But and then that and that once again was kind of revolutionary at the time because Nashville was not about letting artists do that. So the idea that they sound like kind of a ramshackle band that um, that, that maybe isn't the most cohesive thing kind, kind of uh, blends in with the, the origins of that song and kind of the legend of that album. It was the time of the preacher In the year of 01 Now the preaching is over and the lessons begun.
2: I don't have an issue with the performance of it. It's more of the, which is sometimes difficult to 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 pull apart. I think it's the production. It just sounds okay. like um, like instruments that were set up in the studio not really their gear and they just showed up and kind of played with it it just sounds thin and yeah like it's the drum like the drums don't sound great that snare drum is just not it sounds like almost like a punk snare drum it's like really high pitched and the guitar tone is thin and and i i, I don't think it helps either <clears throat> that i mean johnny cash's voice is it's the deal man it's mm-hmm. the whole point so
0: <laughs> when yeah. the band
2: comes in i'm like Guys, I don't really need you here right now because I'm kind of into listening to him sing, (laughs) you know. So, in theory, it sounds like a cool idea, but I guess in practice, I'm maybe just because of that American recording stuff he did is just so powerful the way it's yeah how it is is that now whenever I hear hear something like this where they try to rock it up or mix it, I'm just like, get no, just go, just have a guitar and a piano and Johnny
0: Cash sing. That's all I need. So at at the time that he, that this was being recorded and whatnot was when he was working with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers for the American Recordings two record and I wonder what this would have sounded like with Tom Petty's band backing him. Yeah, right.
1: that's what I wanted. I I really wanted it to be to be that band because yeah. they sound they they really know how to complement his his voice from song to song on those recordings. So.
2: I think that's why when I heard the Waylon Jennings song on here, I was like, oh, "Okay, now this is more." I would have loved for the Johnny Cash song to have been done like this. You know, it's just his voice conveying that song with minimal instrumentation to just complement it.
0: Yeah, I think and he just I, had a guitar player with him on that.
2: Yeah, and I would think the you know the way that the Heartbreakers approach the Johnny Cash stuff, you, you know, they're just guys that know how to how to play their part and get out of the way you know, they just do that brilliantly. And so that was my, um, you know, going into the record with the first track. That was my, um, I guess Uh biggest complaint.
1: Okay. Jay, were there any other songs that you had trouble with?
2: Yeah. I mean, in general, I don't, I didn't like the, uh, like the shotgun, Willie Tenderloin song. I didn't love the super sucker song. Um, I like the, uh, I guess both of those for two two different reasons. Bands that kind of try to do the garage rock kind of blues jam thing, you know, loud, but just play mm-hmm. a Willie Nelson song. It didn't do much for me. The Super Suckers thing is weird because, I mean, that's Willie Nelson playing over top of it, and, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, uh, it sounds like the band played, and then they just had Willie Nelson come in and just turn the mic on and let him just kind of, play guitar over it. Yeah. <laughs> just sounds bizarre. Um, and the that's same, same thing for uh, what's the song where he comes in and sings a verse.
0: Oh, the um, Reverend Horton heat.
2: Yeah. That's a situation where I'm like, the song starts. I'm like, okay, this, you know, it's kind of a jazzy shuffle feel Willie Nelson song. And then when Willie comes in and sings, it creates that stark, like, Oh, wow. Like, that that's a great voice. I want to hear that for the rest of this, you know, and then you go back to Reverend Horton Eatsing And I'm like, eh, it's kind of like, don't, uh, don't, don't put yourself next to somebody who's, you know, iconic and because you have no chance of really standing up to that. Um, so there's some weird things like that that happen on the record too. Um, where it's, uh, you know, it's that the material is too big for the band or the, the other, there's a performance on there that's too big for the, the, the band. Um, and then the, the just weird production choices again, uh, the, uh, steel bathtub song, steel pole bathtub song is odd. The Jesse Dayton song. I don't know who that is. I like what the band's doing, but then they take his vocal and they make it, uh, super distorted and distant for the whole song,
1: Mm -hmm. which I didn't
2: understand why they did that. Um, so, yeah, there's a, it's just a mixed bag, I think, across the board after the, the the handful of songs that I really liked.
1: Were there any songs when you revisited this, Eric, that you maybe liked previously and you're now kind of maybe not enamored with them or ones that have always bugged you?
0: I think when I first listened to this that I, I really, I, you know, I, I I still do like the Reverend Horton Heat. It's maybe not as high up on the list of the ones that I think are the best as it was. Um. And the uh, the tenderloin shotgun Willie. Now that I've actually heard the original, and um, yeah, that, that kind of really didn't hold up for me too much. But overall, I think I found more that um, that I was surprised, that I was uh, interested in that previously I hadn't than ones that had kind of uh, slipped in quality or in uh, my estimation. And part of it is, like I said, I've heard a lot of the the originals now. Uh, I've gone back, and I actually have Shotgun Willie, and I've got Stages and ph- Phases, and I've got, you know, Redheaded Stranger. So I, I've I've heard a lot of the originals, and I've also got. Uh, there was a great compilation that came out of just his early songwriting demos. So it's just Willie and a guitar, where he does a lot of the stuff that he was recorded by other artists. And so to hear those originals, kind of, kind of some some of these pale in comparison, like, um. The song, Sad Songs and Waltz is, is a great, great song, but, you know, the original just blows it away, this cover away. And I don't think Jesse Dayton's a, is a bad singer or anything. I just, you're right, that kind of distant scene of his voice is just kind of odd, given the context. Now, if they were doing something that was, you know, like supposed to be over a phone or something that was supposed to be really, you know, about somebody who was, who was you know, fading away or something, that might... That might work, but not for this song.
1: Um, I think it got mentioned earlier a little bit, but the the L seven song with Whalen yeah. Jennings, I liked about three quarters of that song. Okay. Um, I I I have a love hate relationship with Denita Sparks' vocal. Sometimes mm-hmm. I really really like it, and then she there's some stuff that she does at the end with like this like wailing and <laughs> yeah. it just rubs me the wrong way. And it's really? like, okay. it's like this overly dramatic, I don't know what to call it. Like
2: I had the same reaction. You That's know what funny. I mean? It's just, yeah. When the, like, when the oh. track starts, I thought, wow, this is really cool to hear her singing like this. <laughs> and then as the song goes on and on, by the time you get to the end, I'm like, Oh boy, this is like turning into kind of like howling. I, I, let's move on here.
1: Yeah. Um, If you just got calling out, interesting.
2: I didn't like. I I would have preferred that they just do the song one or two ways, right? Because there's a shift where they go to the more the traditional sound.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I I don't. I don't quite get that. I I I dug the fuzz version. You know, more of this typical Mm L seven sound with them. You know, her being more melodic and singing Willie Nelson type uh, melody. I thought that was a great idea. Her voice sounded good in that, and then it takes a turn, and then at the end it's just time to wrap it up. So that was started strong. Not did not end as
1: strong. Yeah. I I agree with you in the terms of the shift. There were a couple bands that did that where they sort of changed the feel of the song midway through and went to a more like traditional, I guess you'd say country like shuffle or, or what have you. And it's like, I don't need that. Like, just give me the song in your style and let it happen. Yeah, um, it just made me like pine for like uh, other bands. Like, uh, I would have, sh- you know, somebody else had done this because they probably would have just stuck with it or done it the it, way I wanted them to.
2: It also shifts a little to parody, too, right? When they like, oh, now we're gonna sound like Willie Nelson. It's like, well, mm, right, just sound like you.
0: <laughs> well, I think they also also are trying to juxtapose their their version versus what the or, the original was. Yeah. Which is kind of kind of like, you know, when, when you do a tribute album like this, part of the thing is, uh, you know, you want to pay tribute to artists that you like, but you also maybe want your fans to go out and check out the originals. And if you're, you know, if you're playing around with the style too much, then that might turn, you know, kind of casual listeners off. For sure. I mean, if somebody went, some L7 fan went and bought this record, you know, um cause L sevens on it and it's a, you know, it's a deep cut or whatever that, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know that it would convince anyone to go out and track down the original Willie version. Mm.
1: So let me, yeah. let me ask you guys, when you were listening to this, were there any artists that you were like, I wish this band was on here. I, w- I would have liked to have heard, you know, I don't know, whatever. Are there any ones where you thought I would have swapped out, you know, super suckers and had, a different band do this song like I, mm. I was listening to this and going man i bet the jayhawks would have killed one of these songs
0: oh yeah yeah, th- yeah. there's a couple couple that i look at it now and 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 uh, some of it gets to be that uh, that thing of you know my favorite artist that i would love to hear do some of these covers so i would have loved to have seen alejandro escovedo on one of these tracks
1: mm-hmm.
0: or um driving and crying would have been killer on one of these tracks
1: oh yeah that would have been a good one. Um, another one that I thought, this would have been, so like 96, this would have been a perfect time for like Wilco to do one of these songs. This is like second album for Wilco. They were just sort of expanding away from the uh, the Uncle Tupelo era. So I would have liked to maybe, have heard Jeff Tweedy do one, or or even Jay Farrar, for that matter. One of those Maybe guys. The Bottle Rockets? The Bottle Rockets. Yeah. Um, Super
2: Drag would have been fun. I think they could have kind of pulled out their southern side a little bit and made this work.
1: I also thought Soul Asylum. I think Dave Perner yeah. could have pulled off. His voice would have worked well with one of these. Paw. Oh, yeah. That would have been really interesting to hear what Paw could do with one of these songs. Or with any Willie Nelson song. Yeah. Yeah, there's there was... There's an alternate version of this where we get to make it, and uh, <laughs> it, maybe it wouldn't be great, but it would definitely be well, uh, interesting. You know, he,
0: he got name-checked on here. Uh, Junior Brown. Junior Brown would have been great. Are you familiar with Junior Brown? No, I'm not. No. Nope. Uh, okay, so he started off in uh, a band that I'm a big fan of called uh, Rank and File, which was the two brothers from the Dills who were one of the original... West Coast Punk Bands and Alejandro Escovedo doing they were they weren't the original cow punks, but they were pretty close to it. And Junior Brown played on their third, sorry, third album after I believe Escovedo had left. And he's this lap steel guitar guitar guy. And in the 90s, he he had a pretty big solo career. You know, that song Highway Patrol was in that movie. Me, myself and Irene with Jim Carrey.
1: But I know the
0: movie so I probably if you heard would... the song you'd probably remember it yeah okay that was kind of his big hit with um within the country world at at that time and actually he was kind of known on the scene before that and he's kind of on the fringe of the no depression Americana thing but he's an amazing lap steel player and a solid singer um yeah if you don't know junior Brown check out his early stuff Uh, like I said, he came out of that that kind of punk rock background, so he definitely had kind of the energy and uh, at least some knowledge of what that scene was all about. And uh, he actually does a really great version of uh, Waylon Jennings' "Nashville Rebel" on a uh, Jennings tribute album that came out in the two thousands. So, yeah, I would have I would have shuffled him on there. There's got to be some some other Seattle bands that. Uh, you know, like um, I'm a big fan of Mark Pickrell, who was the original drummer for Screaming Trees, and it does a lot of um, kind of folky alt country kind of stuff these days. Uh, I think he, you know, he played on a lot of Lanigan's uh, solo stuff as well.
1: Right,
2: Whiskey Town would have been cool. I'm kind of surprised that that the alt country th- bands didn't play a bigger part in this.
0: Well, I think I read that this was actually put together by the manager for the Super Suckers and. That probably uh, informed a lot of the the bands that wound up on this.
2: Okay, thus the more of the northwest
0: kind of yep thing. Yep. Well, and even like Reverend Horton Heat was on Sub Pop at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gas Huffer is Seattle area band. Right.
2: Yeah. President of the United States. I think Tenderloin is from Sa- San Francisco. L Seven. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. X is a West Coast band. Yeah. 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 Actually, like Kelly Deals. The- it's one of the few outliers. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where best kissers in the world.
0: Not familiar with, with are their stuff.
1: from Exactly.
0: I, I kind of dug that tune, by the
2: way. We didn't talk about that one, but yeah. that was actually one I had highlighted. I thought it was. Um, That's a good solid tune. Yeah. it, it was, uh, It's closest to, to power pop as you're going to hear <laughs> Nelson <laughs> probably get. But I would have loved to hear Cheap Trick do that tune in that style. Mm. That would have been killer. But um, I, I thought that was pretty well done.
0: Uh, I think Steel Pole Bathtub was on Sub Pop around this time, so they probably were a known quantity. And I, I don't know if how much you guys know about X, but they also had another band in the '80s called the Knitters that was kind of their country rock version of the band. So it's not inconceivable that this, you know, was in their wheelhouse.
1: Okay, yeah, I hadn't thought about that.
0: Well, and John Doe also was in. Uh, I think he was in Divine Horseman, which was one of those West Coast cowpunk bands that I love with uh chris d from the flesh eaters so that whole scene had a uh had a kind of a definitely a country bent going on in the 80s that would have you know included knowing a lot of these the classic stuff from the 70s
1: so let's talk about our overall rating on this record do we think it's a worthy album jay mm. a better ep or a decent single where where are you at jay
2: 16 tracks.
1: 16. Um,
2: it is hard to be aware of album. Plus a hidden track, tracks. Jay.
1: We didn't even talk about that. There's uh, a hidden track before the first track. Explain it,
0: Eric. So, um, looking at the uh, liner notes, it says, to access, insert CD and press play. Press the hold rewind as the player scrolls to the beginning of, of quote, soundboard, which is trademarked. Approximately two minutes and 45 seconds on your counter. Release, rewind, or hear a conversation with Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings. Some CD players may not access soundboard. So it's an interview with with uh, Waylon and Johnny talking about Willie's music, I believe. It's been a long time since I've listened to it. But it's uh, one of those things that, you know, everyone was doing in the 90s with uh, weirdo hidden tracks. And uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, so goofy. Um. So yeah, I, I'm at an EP. I mean, I, again, with 16 tracks, I don't I don't know that anybody <laughs> can deliver a, a complete album at that at that length. So, I like uh, five to six songs here. I think it'd be a solid little EP, uh, and I'd be happy.
1: I'm gonna concur with your statement. I think we're in roughly the same ballpark in terms of number of songs, and I think we're in the same ballpark also with which songs we liked which were the standout tracks. Um, I think that, uh, you know, this is a... It's a fair representation of, you know, 90s in terms of they they cover a lot of ground. You know, in discovering that, you know, a lot of these artists are all kind of West Coast. I wish they had included it a little bit more from uh, the rest of the country. I think it would have provided a little more diversity, whereas I think... Some of the stuff that doesn't work all kind of kind of falls into the same boat. So, yeah, I'm at an EP as well. Uh, we both said, <laughs> when you asked us before we got on, we said it was a mixed bag. I think that, mm-hmm. that pretty much sums it up. I don't think there's anything particularly terrible. There's just yeah. some things that I wouldn't have done them the way that they did them, or I would have changed something here or there and maybe worked it up a little bit longer or better i don't know um but uh yeah i'm at about six songs um
0: eric and revisiting it yeah yeah, i'm at about i'm at about 10 songs i really likes which would be a solid album yep and then there's a a couple others that um you know that i'm a little interested in re-exploring and there's a couple i would have probably left off like we uh like we discussed and some of the kind of weirder ones um you know that wasn't necessarily the kind of music i was listening to at the time i'm maybe a little more open to noise and experimental stuff these days so um yeah i i you know like i said it's you know there, there's five or six tracks that aren't super impressive but none of this stuff really annoys me to the point that uh that i i get frustrated and most of these songs are pretty short so you know if um if, if i'm if i'm annoyed by you know bloody merry morning it's going to be over in three minutes so right very true
1: and it's definitely rekindled my interest in in revisiting uh, the career of Willie Nelson. Something I've been meaning to get to for a while. So hopefully, uh, sometime soon, I'll be able to do that. So appreciate you uh, for anything uh, for um, if anything, getting me back into uh, listening to some Willie. So make my grandparents proud.
2: <laughs> well it's <laughs> when you move to austin it's kind of like a, i think i feel like it's an obligation
0: <laughs> did they, they issue you a copy of redheaded stranger when you when you, you know hit the city yeah, limits
2: pretty much i mean and, and i have to say uh you know being a midwesterner who moved here three years ago uh i definitely like americana and older country music mm-hmm. way more than i did and i so I think it just has to do one. It just there's a nostalgia, like I said. I just I, I heard a lot of it growing up, but then it just sounds right here. If that yeah. makes any sense, you know what I mean? Like when you're driving around and you have it on the car radio and the windows open, like it just the way things smell and look, it just sounds like it's the right soundtrack to that. <laughs> so it makes a whole lot more sense now that I live, you know,
0: in Texas, that it did when I lived in Ohio. Well, for me it's it's also a matter of, of getting older that a lot of the stuff is maybe a little more yep. reflective a little more mature a little um a, a little more it's got a little more gravitas to it and you, and you talked earlier about there being a kind of a darkness mm-hmm. a, a lot of the darkness of those early 70s records where the stuff is pulled from is uh my understanding is he went through a divorce and he had some alcohol problems and uh you know being probably in his you know late 30s or into his 40s at that point you know that was that was maybe you know uh and and also the the malaise of the 70s and the times and stuff that was going on probably fed into all of that and he he was his career was late right i mean he didn't start writing songs until well he was a he was a dj and he wrote some songs in the the 50s and 60s that were big heads like crazy and mm -hmm. hello walls for other people but you're right and Actually, his career really did not go to superstar status until that redheaded stranger album came out. Yeah, and it was largely, like I said, him and Whalen just being like, "We're going to do it our way." So, and you know, and in some ways, I think it's it's telling that um, he teamed up with all of these bands from the northwest who also kind of were doing it their way and not trying to uh, conform to the the industry standards. And I mean, that might be the last time we see that as far as music in our lifetime. Very true.
1: Yeah. Well, Eric, thank you for joining us, and thank you for making the suggestion, and thank you for us uh, putting the podcast. Not a problem. I enjoy doing do without this. You. So. Literally, we couldn't afford it. We couldn't afford to do the podcast without folks who support us to join us a Patreon. Like Eric, you can go to patreon.com forward slash dig me out. Buck a month or two fifty to get your review after twelve months. We have a contest coming up, our first quarter contest for 2017. You can go to Patreon to find out about that. And, of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over on iTunes. Eric, thanks for co- for joining us on a Wednesday. No, not a Wednesday. It's a Tuesday. What am I thinking? Tuesday evening.
0: Wishful thinking.
1: Yeah. And as always, Jay. Tim. Uh please remember to turn off your air conditioning. Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: We're going to have to go on hiatus for the summer. What, the...
1: what are you going to do? <laughs> we... The whole summer you're going to have to broadcast uh, in like to set up
0: some baffles or something. There you, go. you need to get the cone of silence from uh
1: <laughs> You're going to some that
0: that show I'm blanking on. Get Smart. Uh Get Smart. Yes, thank you.
1: There you go. Kona Silence coming to Dig Me Out this summer. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for
2: listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash digmeout and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. As well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. And a voice comes through the speakers, reassuring us, Flap 50 is the way to fly. Our hostess takes our order, coffee, tea, or something stronger to start off the day. Well, it's a bloody merry morning.